0: Welcome back, everyone, to the 15th episode of Something in the Crumbs. We're so excited to be recording again for you. We've been scheming the past few weeks on the next suite of uh, episodes to bring you. And we want to say that we're going to do something interesting. Well, we think it's interesting. So we hope (laughs) you agree.
1: (laughs) And our... Eleven listeners, we hope we'll also agree. Um, Where we talk about,
0: uh, well, we're going to focus on this show called Hyena in this episode, and then we will focus on um, another show called The King in the next one, and then we're going to fuse them together because we think that there are overarching topics i mean one is about a law firm and the other one is about parallel <laughs> universes but we think that there are connections oh also we should introduce ourselves
1: oh yes. right
0: i'm kim Wen. and i'm Song kim very excited to be here uh we also actually wanted to say um, we wanted to provide a trigger warning for you all in case you need um or in case it's helpful because in this episode and the show, um, there we're going to talk about domestic and gendered violence and state failure, or the failure of the, the system, um,
1: <laughs> triggering topics, all. Yes. So, yes. Yes. Um, and we think that this is actually the... These next two shows... Um, kind of add a cap to um, our previous few episodes where we've been talking a lot about transformation, what is required for transformation, um, what are the different strategies of transformation, what is, what is needed to achieve transformation, achieve revolution, if you will. Um, and, and so while we talked about time travel and um, reincarnation, um, I think the next couple episodes we're going to think about revenge yes. and the necessity of revenge actually in um, in our, as we work towards transformation in some capacity.
0: Yeah, and how revenge fantasies really allow us to experiment or think about the failures of the system and help us imagine um, at least like provide a non-reformist. Mm-hmm. argument um, as to why fundamental rupture is necessary.
1: Yeah, I think that this series um, that we're going to talk about today, Hyena, um, there, there's quite a bit. I mean, obviously, it's a legal drama. Um, it's set up primarily around um, this single law firm um, that is incredibly successful incredibly powerful long-standing law firm um and there are two are two main characters um we kind of think that they almost are the perfect kind of representations of this uh this question between reform versus abolition actually um and the series uh is about their romance but not really you know it's actually there's a lot more stuff about particular cases um, and how they have the two characters have really different approaches and how they navigate um, the justice system but also systems in general there's a lot of discussion about um, their ways of doing things so there's there's right ways there's wrong ways there's ways that are going outside of um ways that are expected there are things that are considered um almost like ways that are uncontrollable or that are untamed within a particular system Um, and i think that or or the fact that that Uh, way of doing things is one that rejects the system itself um so there's the whole thing is sort of around um how we like how some people really try to reconfigure the justice system um but like it's actually there's an impossibility within that and that you do have to go outside of it um in order to achieve justice you actually have to use it against itself. Um, There's a lot of this kind of um, internal battle, I think, between some of the characters who are raised within the system, have um, been trained to be loyal to it, believe that there's still possibility within it, and then there are characters who have completely like divorced themselves from it. Um, And so that, I think, that's, I think also another thing that's really interesting just in terms of um, how we're thinking about our current moment and our current existence.
0: Yeah. Um, To set it up for you, uh, so there are the two main characters is this man who is supposed to be kind of late 30s, early 40s. His character. Handsome. handsome. He's supposed to be younger than our lead female character who is um, just beautiful, but like it's like an unarticulated beauty. But the way that he's set up is he comes from a family of people within the justice system. So his father is a judge. He is then... And his brother too. Yes. Um, They're both judges and he is a lawyer, which marks his deviance basically. Mm -hmm. Like I think that his father and his brother essentially thought that he was going to be a prosecutor or some kind of would be a lawyer for the actual justice system. And he decides to go and work at a corporate law firm. And in this corporate law firm, he essentially does the bidding of corrupt politicians and um, CEOs. Essentially he helps them get off uh from the charges even though they are guilty so he's set up from the beginning as someone who um, comes from this tradition but then his deviance from it is that he is going to rather than pursue justice he's going to pursue I don't know like career ambition or status or something but I do think it's important that like the family or like we thought it was really important to sort of stress how this means that he came from kind of a more well-to-do upper middle-class background, but this is not a background that everyone still has to work or everyone very much thinks like work is part of how one functions. It's, it's not like um, he's in this like leisure class or he, he is the CEO or the corrupt politician. Like everyone is constantly working on behalf of those who are committing um, essentially like financial treason against humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, And then do you want to say something about our lovely lead character? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, Well, one comment about our lead male character too, I think um, because his family is all uh, involved with the justice system, I think that he is, raised to believe in legality right and believe in the law in a way that um makes it difficult for him i think um and we'll talk more about character development um just in a bit but it makes it really difficult for him i think through the trajectory of the show to like divorce himself from that because it's so ingrained within him because then he also realizes the thing that's ingrained in him is actually incredibly corrupt and evil yeah um but our lead female character, you know, when we are first introduced to her, um, she is, uh, we encounter her first through his eyes, actually, you know, he um, just sort of goes to the laundromat at dawn. I don't know why. It's Maybe that goes back to what you're saying. He's still got to work. <laughs> so he goes to a laundromat i'm like you're a lawyer for a corporate law firm you don't have in suite laundry anyways whatever <laughs> goes to goes to a laundromat at dawn for his alone time and encounters this woman who is uh just sitting there reading a book no laundry to be found but she's there and they and this is all in the first episode where then they start to date and um they develop a relationship. Uh, it's a very rapid montage of relationship. <laughs> um, and so we actually don't know very much about her in the first like portion of this episode. Um, because it's very clear that he also doesn't know anything about her. Um, and then but they're the, in love.
0: Or he's in love. He's in love. He's in love.
1: Quote unquote love. He's in love. And we just get basically a montage of them feeding each other and drinking wine and listening to classical music. (laughs) Um, Whatever. Okay. (laughs) Love. Um, But but, so, but then we find out that um, their love is a sham, as we often do, because she is uh, the lawyer, the opposing lawyer um, on his current case. And and we discovered that she's a lawyer, but she works... Um, she's, like, for self like an em- indi- em- she's Yeah, like she's, self like, self-employed. Employed. It's, like, an independent kind of, like... Her law firm is, like, full of shitty furniture. She has an assistant-slash-secretary-slash-investigator who looks identical to her, kind of. <laughs> and, and they are just, like, this kind of scrappy duo. And she... She basically, um, when we like were introduced to her, I think they really set her up as being very oppositional to um, the kind of lawyer that he is. So she is someone that's painted as being quite ruthless. She'll do whatever it takes to get the outcome that she needs. She does, you know, basically illegal, if not uh, illegal adjacent things in order to get evidence, in order to um, get what she needs um, to win something. And Um, And it's very, like, she's often painted as someone who's, like, very concerned about money and only cares about money, which is so typical of rich people to judge poor people about being obsessed with money when they are totally obsessed (laughs) with money. (laughs) Like, literally all of their decisions slash all of their murders are based on money, but okay, like, (laughs) she's greedy. It's supposed to be her, like,
0: character flaw. Like, she's ruthless about money. It's like. Mm, all of you the whole thing is like the whole show with all of the corruption is about
1: money you're you just won't talk about it out loud yes and she's gauche because she talks about it out loud and she Um, admits it that she's like yeah she won't get paid so it's like of course you want to get paid (laughs) like this is, this is how it works um so so this is like how it kind of um we meet her and and then he, you know, when he finds out that he's basically been duped, he's he was in this relationship with this what woman. What is it who... called? Catfished? Has he been catfished?
0: Been yeah, kind of, or like honey trapped. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> sorry, sorry, everyone. I am not that young. Basically, I apologize.
1: I mean, is it catfishing? If it's all in person? It's I don't, like, yeah. It's not like she had, like, maintained this, like, secret online relationship and then she shows up and it's, like, it's she's true. a whole person. The reason but that ma- I said
0: catfish is because part of what they do to set her up is being someone who's really ruthless and who's willing to go outside of the system and do things that other uh, lawyers would not do. Basically that she's crass, right? That yeah. she's, like, she's someone who is... A, you know, of a different class, literally, but also crass. uh, and like she doesn't have the etiquette um, that, like, a professional would have is because her and her investigator slash secretary slash assistant person slash doppelganger (laughs) um, researched this guy and looked at everything that he read, looked at all of his interests to essentially set up a persona of himself that he would fall in love with. So he essentially fell in love with his own understanding of himself, but as As depicted. Female form. Yes, right. He was like, oh my God, you read that book? I love that book. Oh, you like that music? I love this this wine. I love this wine, right? So it's like he doesn't know anything about her because this isn't about her. It's about him and his own validation of his own interests as being mirrored on another person.
1: But also it's because as we learn, he doesn't have interest. (laughs) He's not, he doesn't have desires. He doesn't actually like part of his crisis. And she helps precipitate this is that he realizes that he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know Mm -hmm. what he believes in. He doesn't know what he's into. He doesn't know why he likes certain things. And, um, and there's like, you know, there's this moment, I think, when, uh, you know, they kind of encounter each other after she uh, catfishes, honeypots, whatever. I- IRL. <laughs> Catfish? IRL. Yeah, IRL <laughs> <laughs> um, um, That essentially, uh, you know, he like calls her to come some bar or something. And he was like, well, as if he's trying to prove to her that, like, he knows something about her where it's, like, you've always loved this wine, right? And she's, like, I don't love that wine. You love that wine. And you didn't even know that I don't even like wine. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, like, true. And then he kind of, like, looks at the bottle. He's, like, do I like wine? Like, it's, like, mm. it's, the, the amount of, like, how quickly it's, like, she's able to unravel this entire thing is actually pretty impressive, yes. too. Because he... um. He, like, and I think we talked about this a bit, how they're they're both vessels in different ways, you know, where he treats her like a vessel that basically just um, reflects himself back to him. But it's also because he himself has been a vessel for all of the shitty father figures in his life that have manipulated him and that he just kind of performs work for them or believes in whatever they tell him, um, you know, whether and that and that is like always in service of a certain kind of power, but which he's into, but I think it doesn't realize that that's what's happening at the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think th- we're setting it up this way, but the show is works really hard to sympathize with him and how horrible it might have it must have been to have been duped. Mm-hmm. And so that the way that the, the show is then set up is like, You have this girl, she's pretty, um, she's like this perfect woman, and then you find out, like, she stabbed you in the back. (laughs) And then the next episode, she reappears, and her hair is terrible, and she's she's crass, and she, like, never kind of recovers from, from, like, the fashion transformation, but also just the way that I think the show is really supposed to – I don't know, Like I couldn't figure out if it was trying to grapple with like a messy kind of subjectivity or if it was just the writing was a little bit all over the place. But the thing that I think that we really wanted to touch on in terms of Vessel is that um, we thought that the way that she interacts with him is a really good way to think about gendered labor and the kind of gendered labor that is um actually underperformed or refused sure. by a lot of male characters in that like they require it, it's like he doesn't even know he likes wine but he wants someone to mirror the validation so he refused the like he refused to do any work into interiority into his emotions into his thinking process let alone something like accountability i mean like you can't even get there because you have no idea you are just uh, the socialization of your construct is all you are. And I think there's something very sad about this, but also enraging because you see how much labor all of the women in the show perform around the men who were incompetent on every level, but also nevertheless in positions of
1: power over them. Yeah, I mean, you're just like you watch it. And you're like, how did you get this far? How did you get this far? I mean, and we know, we know the answer to this. This whole podcast is just a series of (laughs) rhetorical questions. Because we do know. We know. We know why. We know why like we know how you got this far. We know why he gets this far. We know how he gets this far. It's literally something we've been talking about for the last 15 episodes of this podcast. But it's essentially, you know, that. It's just never labor that is like expected of men in this way where it's never asked of him. It's never asked of him and it's never initiated by him um, to really work on this kind of emotional and self-awareness. And he makes it this far. He makes it this far without ever having to do it, which is insane that you never even understand your own desires or like recognize that you have flaws and that because he doesn't recognize himself and doesn't see himself, he also then just uses other people in order to create that recognition for him. And whether that is the shitty father figures in his life or this woman, you know, he kind of just uses them as opposed to just doing it himself, um, which is nuts, you know? And I think it's something that's like very, it's incredibly gendered. Um, And, you know, I think that like, it makes perfect sense though. If you want to talk about patriarchy and you want to talk about like, being raised by these shitty dads where it's like all of these men on this show, hundred percent operate in the same way. And it, with the exception that the only thing that they know they desire is power.
0: Right. Um, and I think it's like, there's something about how you're saying, or we're both saying that they're vessels that like other people manipulate him. Like, and he actually doesn't understand. He thinks he's manipulating other people. Mm-hmm. But he's just being manipulated by the CEOs he works for, the co- the politicians he works for, and the lawyer, the head lawyer of the firm that he works for. And she points this out to him. She's like, you're naive. And that's why people manipulate you. And, of course, all all this does is it hurts his ego. He doesn't actually, like, think about this. Like, all, you know, any sort of, any not compliment is just, like like, a chance to be angry not like it, you know it, there's something about this where it's like you can't take any feedback right versus like I think it's so much about her character and then in real life so much about like non-male experience is about just receiving endless amounts of feedback on Constantly. why you are wrong you shouldn't exist or you're doing everything wrong and then you have to like basically figure out a way to recover from gaslighting Mm -hmm. But she is a vessel in that, like, people try to manipulate her um, because she is from, you know, she does this, quote, she does things, quote, unquote, differently. Like, she's she's from a different class. So, like, she's willing to do things like pick up a persona and, you know, have a, a relationship with a lawyer to get documents to win her case or other things that are questionable that other people would not do. But I think that maybe the main difference is that she believes that she understands where she is in the manipulation. And she believes that she can control where she goes. Like, she understands that the only way her mobility is actually very dependent on other people believing that she can be useful. Um, Whether or not this is true, it's unclear. But she at least understands, like, they're both pawns in this, like, mm-hmm. elaborate system that's not controlled by them. He thinks he has control, and she does not.
1: Yeah. And you can really, um, going back to upbringing, too, like, she is someone that um, was, like, in and out of orphanages and uh, had came from, like, an abusive household. And I think that that, like, it really um, set up, you know, for her, like, that understanding, I think, of how to navigate this, where it's, like, I have to... Essentially, like, it it's all working outside of that system, right? But, like, understanding that you have to do certain things to survive. And I think that she... It's, it's like, it makes perfect sense, in a way, that she also became a lawyer. <laughs> like, you know, in this way that... Um, not because she believes in legality in the same kind of way that he does, but because she understands that she has to know it so well in order to to wield its power, you know, in order to like weaponize it. I think because, and there's a lot of scenes where she's confronted by someone who is like threatening her life or threatening her just in general about something. And she just is like, I dare you to, I dare you to because, and then she'll just like prattle off like exactly how this case will go. She'll prattle off like what these different Mm -hmm. laws are and like the, the probability of that person versus her, like, you know, getting in trouble in this situation. She's like, I'm fine. And it's, it's like, she kind of had to, that's part of her like being used as a vessel, I think is sort of like absorbing this information and understanding it in order to wield it against.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it just, it does very much reveal how she's not a lawyer because she thinks that the law brings justice. And this kind of goes into her backstory. So, like, the show in episode one sets her up to be, like, this, like, power-hungry, money-hungry lawyer who's not interested in love and then needs a haircut Moving
1: forward, but doesn't get one. Like that's not who she is. <laughs> okay, we should say though yeah. her hair initially looks excellent, voluminous, great. Kind of bizarre, but we're into it. And then she gets a weird short. Pixie what I cash. I don't know what that look is. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, I do think that that's part of. I I I think that like it's real. It's a shame that they did this to her because. Kimetsu is this, like, very beautiful actress. She's 50 and looks way too good for 50. And they put her in ridiculous clothes, mostly tracksuits. Like, she's almost in every three scenes. Like, there's somehow she's in, like, a hoodie or a tracksuit. And I think that this is what they're thinking is, like, a marker of a non-elite, class person like you show up in like sweats
1: yeah there's some sort of like they're using fashion in this way to kind of create um like some sort of rapid character development or something yes. where it's like she's low class because she wears track suits and she's unprofessional because she wears track suits but I also think that um you had made a point about um in our notes about how she is basically created to be like a dude and i think that they're also trying to like unfem her by putting her in these like tracksuits and stuff and um to go back to the character development too i think they in order in order to make him seem more empathetic or that or to like for us to empathize with him more and for us to like feel like really sad that he got catfished or whatever is like they, they'd have to do it by making her so awful. Yeah. Which is really like that tells you a lot about just how script writing works or like how like these kinds of gendered roles, you know, where it's like you can't make him sympathetic without making her extra shitty. Yeah. And she's like shitty. Like in the first like couple episodes, they really make her to be very shitty. Like she does some really shitty shit. <laughs> like, you know, there's this one case, and I think it's to show like how ruthless she is and how extreme she is and how she'll do anything and any, you know, and that, that her way of doing things. It's also like kind of moralizing it in a way too, where mm-hmm. it's like she's so bad that she's willing to do these kinds of things. And for one of the cases in the beginning where she uh, basically like coerces, blackmails uh, this abused woman to go back to her abuser, um, abused boyfriend who like held her captive, you know, and like, like it's like fucked up. And basically she is like hired in this role to like blackmail this woman to go back to this guy. Um, And as someone who came from a household of abuse, it's just like, this is so dark. Like this is so incredibly dark. And, but I think that that's like one of the things that they do to really like make her seem like she's shitty. Yeah. And then you feel extra bad that he got duped or something.
0: Yeah. And, and I think your point that, like, they try to unfem her is really on point. But they also, it, there almost seems to be a thesis that if she were more attractive, mm. then it's uh, it's distracting. Or, like, it's, I don't know, like, she's just, she, she, the character, has to be a less attractive version. So they really go out of her way to, out of their way to give her this haircut that like always looks like it needs a trim you know like it's really unclear she's also like a much older she she's supposed to play a character who's an older woman from this guy who's like in his mid late 30s or early 40s right so like this is the first show that I think we've watched in a while where this is an, an older woman like she's fully actualized, like, she's not, like, a lawyer to look for her identity or whatever the fuck,
1: like, she's, like... You mean she's not an amateur photographer? <laughs> <laughs> she,
0: you know, she she has her life mission, and it seems like she has internalized this quite well, that she's interested in revenge against the system, against society, against men, like, she is angry in a very quiet kind of way, and to this is to... to And the way, and like the domestic violence or the abuse that Kim has mentioned that we set up a trigger warning for, it's like, it's very serious. Like she grew up in a, an incredibly abusive household where her stepfather murdered her mother in a, in a, in in an act of like domestic violent rage, essentially. And then would not stop hitting her and so the solution she came up with because her stepfather was in, was briefly incarcerated for murdering her mother but then released because the justice system cannot actually uh provide justice
1: mm-hmm. to
0: victims of domestic and gender violence um for so many reasons she then concocts the plan where she essentially makes it seem like her stepfather has murdered her. She stabs herself. And this is how she decides that she's going to be, quote, unquote, free of him, which does lead to, like, a longer incarcerated sentence. But then he's released and then torments her again. So it's like, you know, there's a kind of her sort of revenge against the system. It's, it's like, tactile and through lived Mm -hmm. experience. And she very much understands, like, how these systems of uh, these systems are not set up to protect her mm-hmm. or people who are like her. They are set up to protect actually him or just people already with more power. You were gonna say something?
1: Well, just that she, even at that young age, because she this happens. I think I don't know. She like in middle school, high school. Like she's young, um, and like when he gets released she basically asks the police like like (laughs) how is this guy gonna stay in jail like i need to know and they basically tell her that she has to they have to like prove she has to prove intent and like that in order for it to actually be considered like attempted murder because it's like him just perpetually abusing her is not considered like intent in any way and so um and the fact that, like, you know, she knows to ask that I think is actually a really interesting one, you know, where it's like she recognizes she's like, I don't need to know. Like, she's like, I just need to know what's going to get me there, <laughs> you know, and it's like, so you're telling me that this has to happen. OK. And so then, you know, in one of the like this the scene that like he he like basically beats her to a point in which she nearly dies and then she already has planned you know, like what, if this happens again, she like uh, she has this childhood friend that uh, purchased um, a knife, kept the receipt, um, and then she has that knife kind of like hidden in this living room, and then she then pulls the knife on her father, and then he thinks that like, oh, she like, are you going to try and kill me now? And she's like, mm-mm. and so then he, she basically puts the knife in his hands. And then shoves it into her gut, you know? And so that it's like, and then he's just like shocked about what has happened, but he's there left holding the weapon, you know? And so she like totally understood, like, also, like, what's, it wasn't even as if she like just like stabbed him in front of him, you know? It was like, yeah. no. Yeah, like, <laughs> and, and that was the only thing. That was the only thing that got him incarcerated. It's like, it's crazy. And then, and, you know, to talk about like trauma, it's like, she, as you said, like, she's a fully, grown-up person she is fully actualized as a person she is incredibly accomplished and then when she sees him her father who's an old man now like you know there's no question that if she needed to she could probably physically like dominate him now but when she sees him it is the fear is there she actually like backs up from him and like kind of like she has like terror in her eyes you know and it's like it's a very it's like a super intense um, storyline and actually like one that uh, is like, I don't know. It's like, it's, it, it makes it like, it's, it's upsetting I think that they take a long time to also like set up this kind of narrative for her Mm -hmm. where, you know, she, she starts out shitty and then we're supposed to like retroactively like make these kinds of connections or something. And I feel like that was like a very, I, yeah, I was like, I feel like that kind of narrative development was um, troubling to me. Yeah,
0: and I think that, so we should preface that we're not suggesting this show is about transformative or restorative
1: justice. Like, this is, oh, this is no. a show about... Please, please don't watch the show. I'm using yeah. that's where it's no no no, like... no, 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 no.
0: This is, this is not a show with that even though these are, you know, transformative and restorative justice is so hard. It's like the hardest thing. It's like, you know, this is what Mariam Kaba says all the time. It's harder. It's harder Mm -hmm. than in cars. It's like the hardest thing. Um, This but her character does set up a conversation about what does it mean to fight back? How do you fight back when you don't have any power? And Mm -hmm. how do you fight back Um, A system that actually is not broken. It's just this is the way that it's set up. And so she Mm -hmm. does represent a character who is not a reformist. Like she does not enter into the system unless she has to appear in disguise. You know, like the way that she did to have him fall in love with her. She doesn't appear to kind of There is no veneer of like, uh, oh, well, if we do it this way or if we find the right judge or if we write the right laws, like we'll get it a certain kind of way. It's like from her early experience, like she understands like this is her life mission that uh, and it's that's why, like, I think we're saying like there's something about like revenge kind of flowing throughout that she's driven she's actually like very driven by this belief that the system is not set up to protect people like her and all you can do is fuck with the system and have it kind of break down in certain ways right like you can't actually you can't use the rules of the system because no one else is anyway so it's not necessarily like a revolutionary thesis, but it is a really refreshing, I think example of an older woman who is not, you know, like the love is like tangential. Like Mm -hmm. they somehow kind of get together. They're sort of in a weird, like,
1: I don't know. You're just like, maybe you're just like best friends. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Like where they like, they do like hook up sometimes. Like, Right, like they definitely hooked up
1: one time. (laughs) I think they did, Um, and he. But it was also like a very funny dynamic too, where he like she was really sad, traumatized, um, which is also like that's like a whole thing in a lot of shows where you're like, trauma sex. Yikes. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, and he was basically like, "Do you need to use me? You can use me tonight. Like that is like what he has to offer." Or his emotional whatever, <laughs> but
0: yeah, like you know, she sets up this like she's like this. She's supposed to be this like badass character on some level. Like she's like lived alone, she's independent, like she's not married. She's fifty ish or late forties to fifty ish. Um The actress in in real life, she's she's fifty. That's why we keep referencing, or maybe I keep referencing that number. And then um all of this work around like trauma that like she has not recovered from this actually like that scene where she steps back was really haunting for me you know mm-hmm. like also the stepfather has is now a pastor like he's been released Ugh. and he like set up a church and he thinks that she should apl- apologize to him which dovetails into the next point that we were going to make about the show where the whole show is about gaslighting and mm-hmm. what it means to be just constantly gaslighted by institutions
1: and people and yeah. Yeah. They actually do a really great, the one of the first cases um, is about gaslighting and it's about uh like an abusive work environment at like a tech startup firm, um, a very familiar kind of scenario. And, and one of the lawyers, I think in this corporate law firm, um, breaks down gaslighting very clearly. <laughs> and it's like, when you watch it, you're just like, yeah, yeah, that's what's happening all the time in our daily lives. Um, and that, you know, this kind of, it's like an interesting thing because, you know, within like, the Kate, like, like the kind of setting of a legal drama, you know, they frame it as like, this is a workplace setting in which this was happening. And it's like very factual that like gaslighting is occurring. And it's like, you know, for a lot of people, I do not exempt us from this. (laughs) Gaslighting is just like part of our daily existence, um, constantly. And, and part of our relationships, I think like the ones that matter, um, are, actually about not only about accountability but about like stopping each other from being gaslit effectively you know where I think that it's like so many things happen in people's lives we're in so many situations in which there's there is abuse there's trauma there are scenarios in which then we like will gaslight ourselves and it's like these relationships are actually ones that help us to like reaffirm that like no this is real these feelings are correct this is exactly what is happening um and and i think that this is like you know going back to our joke about catfishing i actually think there's like some relationship there to like what's happening with these characters in the show you know where it's like they're all kind of being gaslit and he's like being gaslit about like what his entire life is Mm -hmm. you know and and a lot of these people i think are realizing you know like the kind of intricacies of power and I think that it's the thing about gaslighting is that it it is both explicit and it's insidious and it can be very like um, operate in these very minute levels yeah Um, and I think that the show actually does a really good job of like kind of showing how like the tiny ways that it happens and like the more explicit ways that this happens
0: yeah no I think that's so much of him, like you and I like almost on a daily basis it's like it's you reminding me that I'm gaslighting myself essentially because I've been gaslighted right so it's like mm-hmm. and, and and by gaslighting I mean like there's so much of like our interactions with institutions or just like interactions where I always feel like I'm being too sensitive all the time like I'm always like oh it's probably like you know like well what was my contribution to the potential conflict like I'm always like it's probably my fault or it's like probably like the way that I'm looking at it and if I didn't have you and if I didn't have like other friends who I could be like is this how what do you think I think that it would just be this existence where you just constantly blame yourself and you just constantly decide it's you and and yeah like then you're not a reformist or an abolitionist. You're just stuck. You're like not even one of the side character good friends, you
1: know, oh you're God. just like, but I think that like one of the things though, as strategy um, to like po- posse catfishing, is like um, one of the strategies of how you, maybe create some barriers or prevent yourself from being gaslit is actually engaging or developing um, a kind of fake relationship Mm -hmm. or like a type of persona, you know, which I think she does. Right. Like she, this is part of her sort of like using herself as a vessel in this kind of way. But like, um, you know, I think we talked about this when I was like watching the show, I was like, wow, you know, like maybe it's pretty easy to fake love a man because we fake love so many things in order to survive already you know and that our entire professional lives is actually just one fake love or a fake relationship it's not one that we necessarily want to have it's one that we just have um which is you know whatever like all of our relationships to capital whatever where it's just like uh you know it's not it's not a real relationship because we value relationships too much so it's like we don't right. even really want to call it that it's like a fake one and i think that we we do a lot of performance and we do a lot of things in order to um the, so that the real thing the real whoever we are whatever that means isn't being gaslit you know right
0: and i guess this is where it always it feels really tricky because i think that technically if you and i don't even know if i'm going to explain this right but there is like a sort of there's a way in which like our unconscious does think of our own self and we were talking about this Kim where like if you're constantly in these fake situations where you are not being truthful to that person because of your own survival and your own preservation But also because you've been in this situation before, Um, how, like, how does, how can you prevent yourself from not distrusting your own self? Because then your relationship to this thing called truth and how you interact with truth with others is just, it's it's impossible. Like, I do think She's such a good example of someone who is never honest. Like, mm-hmm. and I say this with a lot of admiration. Like nobody really knows what she's thinking. Nobody mm-hmm. like we don't really know what her desires are. We know what her ambition is. We know that she is what we know what she's against. Like we know that like these are the things that she thinks should not exist. We actually even understand some of her ethical boundaries. I mean, I think later on in the show, they're set up, like, in a way that it's not earlier on in, in the show. And ultimately, she does become a character who's interested in taking down power and corruption. But, like, even to the end, like, you know, like, she's not having ever any honest conversations with anybody.
1: But, like, what do you think? I mean... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if like she also wants to take down power because she believes in justice or she believes in
0: power, revenge
1: and power. Yeah, like she, she's thirsty for revenge. No,
0: no, no. I don't think it's about I don't think she has very much interest. I think she's calculating. And right. I don't see her. I, I don't think that she would think of herself as a revolutionary. I think that she would yeah. think of herself as someone who has survived. and is um, going to continue to survive. And the politics of that obviously are are very messy and because everything is being very much filtered through unprocessed trauma, essentially, because it's it's a reoccurring theme in the show, but it's also reoccurring in her character development. Um, But this is then to go back and say, like, Kim, something that you brought up a lot is like how the show very much represents that relationships are essentially used as like as you know they're like mm-hmm. yeah do you want to say more about this
1: well i think that um you know when you were talking about how like nobody knows anything about her um nobody knows what her desires are or what her position is on certain things and i think part of that is also this refusal to develop real relationships because they are liabilities effectively like Mm -hmm. in this in this narrative the relationships on all like basically every single relationship on the show if it isn't a threat it's a liability it's like used against people constantly where you know they're like it's like both something that can be um used against you but also like refused or like withheld from you in some way to punish you um and that and that they're like um I don't know like it's like very often they they will mention things well like like for instance I think his relationship the lead male character and his father is maybe a great example of this where um it turns out that his father is like entangled in all of all of this all this corruption um basically got his promotion um to the supreme court like because of doing favors for um these different ceos and these politicians and they're all kind of in cahoots with each other which and is, which
0: is real life everyone like, is real life it's i'm just called, like yeah and. Like, and, that Kavanaugh, and i love because like, it's like
1: a big reveal like we're supposed to be like shocked you
0: <laughs> know like hmm, we see who's being appointed every day in this dumpster fire of a nation state like this yeah. is not fiction like yeah. it's like
1: triggering news basically. news not news yeah. okay <laughs> um and and like i think you know and it goes back to him like also being someone that still believes in certain things and he's like he's like oh my god and so at first he's just like my dad is being um like scapegoated basically for something and then he realizes that his dad's actually involved with it and then his dad um, is attempts to commit suicide because he also is like, it's just better for you if I'm dead. And he kind of, because he knows that actually his relationship and his association with his son is going to be used against him in some capacity. And then the crazy part is that his son is like, look, let's just like, and this is him still believing in a certain kind of system where it's like they go to court and he's like, you be honest and say that you did this, but I'm really going to go after this head of the law firm. And that's like, really like the target will just kind of move over to this guy. But you do have to admit that you were participating in this. And then the father just is like, like the shit dad that he is like gets up on stand and then just like lies and protects the, the rich, powerful dude. Um, Even though, That guy basically disposed of him, you know, Mm -hmm. abandoned him when that relationship Mm -hmm. was no longer an asset to him Mm -hmm. and was no longer valuable, abandoned him. And this like father, like still, whether it's through fear, whether it's like a hope that he'll change his mind, whatever it may be, um, still like kind of lies to protect this guy. And I think the son is just like super horrified by that because he realizes that also his relationship, his love for his father blinded him from... The truth of like these relationships and of the actually what was happening yeah and yeah it's and and often the the power due that they're actually trying to get the head of the law firm very often will use other people's relationships and abuse them um and exploit them in some in some way just to kind of get what he needs and which is just life i guess <laughs> so again news not news but yeah
0: yeah The notes um, that Kim wrote about this is wow, patriarchy is depressing. None of these people are human beings in your world because relationships are just, they're either threats or they're assets, capital, right? Like, I think that, like, um, part of why she literally doesn't have any relationships except for the one that she has maybe to her secretary, assistant, investigator, and then another investigator is to really show why she doesn't have capital but also Mm -hmm. she's afraid of risk right it's supposed to like set up this like duality that like this is why no one thinks no one takes her seriously and everyone's willing to use her because Mm -hmm. who are her connects like she doesn't have any she's no one no one is trying to no ceo has manipulated her or gotten her into this elaborate scheme to make another billion dollars on top of the other billions of dollars that they already have. Um, because let's be real, like the corruption is like, these are rich people. The, I mean, rich isn't even the right word. These are people in positions of power with money that they can actually not use while they're alive or, um, you know, I, there's this Bloomberg quote, and I think it's Bloomberg, but it could be another rich billionaire. And he says something like, "The reason I don't even know how you can tell them apart." To sorry be honest if this you. is just more fake news, everyone, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> Read it in a book about like you know, phila- contemporary philanthropy, that you know, the, he said something like he partakes in it because you can't spend it all, and you can't take it with you when you die right so like the uh, the entirety of like the quote-unquote conflict that's set up in the show you know like essentially the corruption the abuse it's just it's people who already have abused others and people who have amassed an enormous amount of money who just want more so it's Mm -hmm. like a little bit like it's wild to think about how it isn't even like you need it it's just like you think it's yours it's like entitlement it's this really like disgusting um you know formulation and all and what sustains it it are these sets of relationships that are both Mm. um threats and capital
1: well and she it cuts both ways for her you know because not only does she like not have relationships that then she can't bring that capital to this other relationship um but it also, because she has no relationships, they have no proof that she is capable of loyalty mm. and they demand loyalty, right? Like in order for this whole thing to work is that you need to have people who are like basically loyal subjects, right? right. And I think that she very clearly, because she doesn't have any of these relationships, is set up as someone who is resistant to loyalty. Right, right. Absolutely. And and that's why they're always like, you know, she's just going to do her own thing, whatever. And like, and that they then just treat her as very disposable as well because of that. It's like she's disposable both ways. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kim... so power sucks. Money sucks. Yes. It <laughs> is a failure. All you can
0: do is try to break it. Kim also wrote individualism is not about relationship disposability of relationships, which I do think is a really good way to think about everything that the show is sort of working through. Like, who is the individual? How does hyper individualism function? Um, and how do relationships function in neoliberal capitalism?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know if we want to expand more on basically all these Shitty old man.
0: <laughs> oh yes, I think yeah. We are like we have only like I don't know, ten or fifteen more minutes. We gotta <laughs> we gotta get into this. Um, so something that we didn't notice that was a consistent theme um, in both hyena and the king, but maybe also in others, is that there is this very subtle and then sometimes not subtle critique of just old men in positions of power and this uh it it seems like it's a critique of age hierarchy um which take that all these like (laughs) white people who like believe like asia is just this place where you just like have reverence for like the elderly or something it's like no i mean part of why the systems these systems remain corrupt all over the world is because we just believe in hierarchies and accept them but mm-hmm. it is really – it's the old men from the stepfather to the CEOs that cause all of the harm,
1: all of it. Oh, yes.
0: It's, like, mm-hmm. it's like without exception, all of them.
1: Well, they are – I mean, number one, as we all agree, legacy is for losers, always. <laughs> but number two, the amount of scenes that you have – and, like, these are – failing old men like some of them have canes some of them wheelchairs and you're like jesus fucking christ patriarchy like are you kidding me like you're keeping this alive i can't even deal with this right now but these like so many scenes of like these old men and they are just way more ruthless way more aggressive are willing to murder are willing to do all kinds of like horrible horrible things to get what they want and then when somebody basically just points it out not even does anything about them it's like not like you know there's like a lawsuit there's not like any actual like there's there's no particular threat actually to their power it's just someone identifies it and points it out to them being like hey guess what i'm on to you and you're like fucking pyramid scheme or whatever and then they just like their brows get all. Burrowed, and they get really angry, and then they like clutch their chests, like they're about to have a heart attack, like and then you they're get just murdered. like oh, like as if like they just like will die right there. But then they never die. <laughs> Not a single one. <laughs> Not a single one. I just like like what are you? Are you terrible? Are you weak? Just be weak. <laughs> it's and, a lot.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's very triggering because and then they and then they murder. They're like, you are my feelings. You threatened me, which is what I do all the time to everybody. But, like, how dare It's not you? even
1: a threat, literally. It's just, here's a piece of paper that says, I think you did something bad.
0: <laughs> They're like, murder. Yeah, I mean, it's triggering because it's, like, low-functioning men who just have... Just like they're pure egos and I, you know, they have all the money to get all the therapy that they need, but they won't. Instead, they're just like hurting people, murdering people, you know. Yeah. Like like high functioning abuse. Like all they do is really abuse other people. And then there are all these women around them
1: who scramble essentially to. Well, and they only use their power to protect each other's incompetence and low functioning existence like that's like the entire like all of their energy just goes into protecting their incompetence
0: and the women essentially exist in the show to potentially prevent additional harm or from the harm from just like extending so it's like the ceos murderers abusers so forth they all they do is have rampages and then all of the women the lawyers investigators so forth they're like how do we mitigate this damage? How do we mitigate the harm, you know? And that just feels like real life. Ugh. It is too close to real life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the conflict is between them. It's between the men who are old. They're like, you have a little bit more power I think than I do, so I would like your power. And so I will fight you, which means that a bunch of other people are going to get hurt. But, you know, I'm
1: rich, so. It's also, like, really vampiric, you know, where, like, like these old guys also just, like, then find younger versions of themselves mm. to then use them to right. kind of keep them in power. Which is just, like, what are you doing, young millionaire why do you need to do favors for old billionaire (laughs) Uh,
0: yeah you know at some point we will just have i mean or maybe it it will not be resolved like what is this for the young millionaire man to want to be like the old billionaire dude like what is like how do we understand this we don't there have there have been enough happiness studies that have been conducted that situate um, that like passed a certain kind of marker um, like a, a an amount salary amount I think some studies say something like one 180 thousand a year other studies say like three hundred thousand a year like after that like money literally becomes um, a stressor in your life and this is not to say there's no sympathy for the rich right like I'm saying like <laughs> the sociologists in their, have have used the conservative approach of data collection to be like, do you understand that this kind of accumulation is really harmful and then add some other thing? But it's like, what is this? Like, do we, do we want to understand what this means? Or do we just want to say, like, immediate decapitation? Like, I don't know. <laughs>
1: like, why do you
0: want to be a millionaire or a billionaire? You're
1: a millionaire. Like, I don't, I don't understand know. your motivations in life. Like... <laughs> Oh, yeah, we don't understand them. We don't want to know more. We actually, there are plenty of television shows that probably already address this, so true. we will not watch. <laughs> it's very. And true. so that's why this is probably, again, a rhetorical question. <laughs> don't give us the answer. We don't want to know. Yeah, I
0: mean, if you send us a long article from like a psychologist on this phenomena that mostly just sympathizes with the rich we will not read it
1: we will No not read we'll it. actually go out of our way to find a printer print it and then shred it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and yes. you know we all work from home right now, so access to printers is hard. Uh, let me tell you.
0: Kim is saying that she's committed. She's she's committed to enacting the the, re- <laughs>
1: the materialization of the shredding of your yeah. scholarship.
0: The revenge that she thinks is necessary to
1: say fuck this. It's true. Yeah. Um. Uh, I guess like, if we're talking about um billionaires, maybe we should talk about product placement.
0: Now. Oh my gosh. I thought you were going to say, like, let's segue into our last notes on revenge, but we must talk about product placement because it was absurd. Like, absurd. (laughs) Go ahead, Kim.
1: Well, one of the, I mean, basically, Auntie Annie's, (laughs) which uh, for those of you who don't know, um, is a pretzel. If you don't know,
0: we're envious of you.
1: We envy your existence. It, there's a very strange normalization, of very absurd uh, consumption of Auntie Annie's on this show where it's like basically everything that happens. You know what we need? We need a pretzel bouquet. Someone gets a promotion and they get a pretzel bouquet, right? Yeah. Yes, they get made, you, they, get, they, you get a new office, you get promoted, you win a case, pretzel bouquet, pretzel bouquet, pretzel bouquet. Yeah,
0: and this is like a high-powered law firm, everyone, and they're like eating cinnamon pretzels, like from the bouquet. Sometimes
1: there's sausages in them, there's like a cheese one, there's a matcha one. We know a lot about Auntie Annie's menu. Oh my gosh, <laughs> there was this one
0: scene where like two men just like went together And then got pretzels and they ate them. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. First of all, I am excited by the idea that they would go and get dessert together. But I'm like so confused by this scene. Like, it makes no sense whatsoever.
1: Oh, yeah. It's it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre choice. (laughs) And I'm like, wow. I didn't think that it could get more absurd than subway, you know, but I'm like subway is lunch. I don't understand why though, like you ever need a pretzel bouquet, yeah, so many aspects of the show feel very real, and some just are not i can't I can't remember <laughs> the last time
0: someone even. Asked if I want someone to get gifted
1: a, you yeah a pretzel plate plate of chubby pretzels yeah, yeah because it's never happened
0: well I was gonna say someone even wanted to get one you know because it's like I feel like it's like I get I ask people all the time if they want to get like ice cream or like I feel like people ask me if like I would like ice cream or I don't know a baked good like a cake not a pretzel but I no, i don't think in my life anyone has been like do you want to go somewhere with me to get a pretzel
1: yeah
0: I mean we're not in Germany like is <laughs> that where they, is that where they That's eat true. them I don't know am I being
1: racist it- against my <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Eddie Eddie's is German <laughs>
0: that it is on Auntie yeah. is German. <laughs> Spread it everyone, it is German. Big news. We're all about it here. Yeah. And um, then there's a pro- the product placement of this pizza place.
1: Yes, which is also on another show that we're watching right now. So they they went in hard in the K-drama sponsorship, but they eat a lot of corn pineapple cheese pizza. I guess it's a signature flavor. <laughs> Yeah. Um no. but we'll talk more about product placement in The, the King
0: mm-hmm. where
1: it is truly absurd absurd. Like the entire show is constructed just around product placement. I've never watched a show quite like this and and we yeah, we live in the United States. <laughs> I, I
0: like... know. The, in the future everyone wears Nike. You know, it's like year <laughs> 3000. <It's> like <laughs> nikes and i'm just like what you know um
1: can't believe the corporations universe and we're still into barbecue all and chicken (laughs)
0: like there are no new corporations in the parallel universes or the future
1: (laughs) our imaginations are so limited we've said it before (laughs)
0: um but before we end and we did want to say that we think thinking about like the tension between revenge and treason um, kind of moving away from the reform question entirely into some kind of rupture of the system with really no plan to reconstruct it. And I think that that's really what a revenge narrative sets up. It's like, mm-hmm. there is no, there are no
1: returns, there are no
0: returns, and there are no plans like this. It's not like you
1: immediate decapitation. Yeah, it's
0: not like you explode it, because you have some plan, like you just you have the desire to explode it because it's not working. And this isn't to say that that is then the quote unquote right way. Like this is really us thinking about like imperfect revolution or imperfect revolutionary impulses. We're just like the feelings that we have um, around institutions and systems that are just fundamentally broken. I mean, like mm-hmm. there are, there's time travel, there's reincarnation, there's redoing it. And then there's just revenge. There's, a, there's explosion and there are different forms of treason and, Uh, This is fiction, kind of. So it's useful to think and imagine and dream through all of it.
1: Yeah. And I think we'll talk a lot more about that um, when we talk about the king and just, yeah, the multiplicity of ways that you have to work, you have to function within the different roles that many of us have to play ourselves, but also collectively in order to achieve um, this imperfect revolution and that parallel universes are also <laughs> part of this kind of you know belief you know that yeah. it's it it's something that we you know we have to believe in in a way but also recognizing that there there isn't a perfection within that too and that there are um even though you open that door it doesn't mean that it's like we're done now and everything's great. And so I think it's a, it'll be an interesting thing to kind of get into that a bit more um, about this kind of continuous process, I think in our next episode. Yes.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in everyone.
1: Yes. And we can't wait to see you next time.
0: Yes. Bye. Bye. Bye.